Hello and welcome back to episode 2 of season 4 of Amplify. Today I'm in conversation with Disha Ravi who is a climate justice activist and founding member of Fridays for Future India. Fridays for Future began in August 2018 when Greta Thunberg along with several other young activists in Sweden skipped school to protest against the lack of action by the government to tackle the climate crisis. Since then this movement has taken the world by storm and galvanized communities globally. In this episode, we discuss the movement's growing influence globally as well as in India, sustaining activism, and what an environmentally just and equitable future looks like. Let's start off by talking about how you came into climate activism you know what what sort of influenced that decision so i was around 1920 when i really started climate activism it was largely because of my grandparents the farmers and they had to go through the water crisis when i was much younger luckily the situation is much better now but i essentially you know heard stories and i was there when it was happening and uh, I didn't really understand what was happening or why it was happening. I didn't even question it back then. It was only much later when I grew up and, you know, I heard stories again that I was able to revisit memories and question why things were the, were the way they were. I didn't have, like, internet access full-time up until, like, I was 18. I didn't even have, like, an Android phone up until I was 18. And it was only then that I was able to, like, research or... Yeah. Uh, what was happening and understand it and it was around that time my mom also told me how about how you know she had to uh, carry water from you know the local water supply before she even went to school and I think that essentially is what made me a climate activist. Yeah and I think that it's interesting that you know from not having access to internet or phone or any sort of the digital technologies that are so common now, especially in climate education and climate communication. You are now in a space where, for instance, with Fridays for Future India, which is a movement, you're quite heavily involved. And of course, it's a movement that relies on social media and digital technology to spread awareness and spread the message. So what about Fridays for Future as a movement in general sort of made you think that this is something that we need a version of or exactly as it is perhaps in India? I think a lot of us, when we, when I even found out about the climate crisis, I didn't know how we could stop it. And a lot of what I found on the internet because it was free access was a very whitewashed version of environmentalism. And it took me time and, you know, effort to even decolonize that from myself. And what we essentially wanted was to do something about it because, I didn't know the other people that uh, we started FF with. I didn't know them at all. It was just, we were honestly randomly looking around the internet and we were frustrated with what's happening around the world. And like, I knew there was a youth movement going on called Fridays for Future. And I thought that was a cool idea. And I was like, why is this not in India? Because we're young people. We should be doing something about this too. And so I essentially went about searching if there was one. There wasn't. 
but I did find someone else who was trying to start it. And it just so happened that person was also in Bangalore. And then I reached out to her and that's essentially what uh, birthed Fridays for Future Bangalore. And then we found people in Mumbai and Delhi. So that essentially these three chapters essentially became the founding chapters of FF India. And that's how FF India was born. But I'm very, very grateful because I didn't think I'd find these people. But yeah, thank God for technology. Uh, we do a lot of on-ground events, but because of the pandemic, we haven't been able to do that. So we are completely dependent on technology right now. But otherwise, I really um, you know, miss seeing people in person. How do you think that the pandemic has reconfigured activism before, you know, when you look at what uh, being involved in a movement like Fridays for Future entailed before 2019, 2020, and then how it has reconfigured now in light of pandemic and lockdowns and restrictions? Like, what are your thoughts on that? We only started Fridays for Future in 2019 in March, to be more specific. But there is a huge difference as to how we were back then and now. I think one of my most enduring memories is that uh, in FF Karnataka, we used to have picnics in Carbon Park because it was close to a metro. It had access to, it was, you know, center of the city, so it was easy for everyone to travel. It was like the perfect location and it was free and accessible to everyone. And so we'd have picnics there where everyone just bring food. And we d- we can't do that anymore. And yeah. it's, just the fact that we're still organizing, but it's digital. And before we'd plan it in person versus online. And it's kind of, it gets to you a little bit because you feel a little lonely. And you, FF at the core of it is also a community that's working to essentially, it sounds cheesy, but make the world a better place because we want to make the planet livable. And the fact that, you know, we have to do it digitally now has been a shift that we had to adjust to. But mm-hmm. luckily, because FF is so huge in India, we always had people from other cities that we had to communicate and organize with. And that was always digital because we couldn't go and meet them in person. So we were used to digital organizing from the get-go. So I think we've just shifted to that. The shift was easy. We just missed having community events that we used to. And like just day before, we were talking about how once we're all vaccinated and once the situation is better, we're all going to have that picnic again. And someone gave us a few books to read about environment. We're all going to share that. So it was really exciting. And I hope that day comes soon when the situation is better, that we can all meet. Yeah, I think that sounds lovely, On to be honest. And I think that it's such a core part of feeling like you're working towards something, feeling like you're building something when you're actually able to meet, when you're actually able to exchange ideas and brainstorm, you know, it's it's just so much more, I think, electric when you do it in person as opposed to when you're doing it online. Even though, of course, online has a lot of benefits when it comes to connecting or meeting new people or finding out about other movements and organizations. It really does because it's just so hard to, you feel so distant from everything, but also at the same time, technology makes the world smaller where you can meet literally every, anyone across the globe. So that is great. But yeah, it does have its drawbacks. Yeah, absolutely. And let's, let's you know, talk a little bit about the state of climate activism in India. I think it was in 
last year, so in 2020, India topped the list of 29 countries that blocked access to the internet, despite increased demand during COVID-19. So what are your thoughts about what is the state of activism in India today, given what we have been discussing about how the internet is such a key tool now when it comes to organizing and advocacy? I think there are a lot of gray areas in the climate and environmental activism. The two particular ends that really I can see is one end where people are considered radical and just very aggressive for, uh, you know, demanding from the government to leave coal alone, to leave uh, land with indigenous people and to leave the rivers without poisoning them. And then there's the other end that's focused on conservation. Often these kids are like from really rich backgrounds that focus on conservation. And essentially what happens is they just focus on a on an aspect of environmentalism that's not as controversial and that everyone essentially likes. So they get awards and they get to take this to their resumes and Ivy Leagues and get into colleges. And a lot of them, that is the main motivator, motivator, which is really sad because environmentalism is so much more than that. And the other side always just suffers from not having enough access, enough resources, and obviously, that since their environmentalism is considered radical, they're not getting any benefits. Not that they should like that. Is, that shouldn't be the motive. But everyone has to, you know, survive. So that is, I think that those are the two ends that I've always noticed. And normally, I'd be okay with it because we need absolutely everyone in the movement. But what's really sad is that the richer side never really focuses on, you know, land rights. When they talk about, they'll talk about the birds in an area. But they won't talk about the land conflicts in that area and amplify the voice of indigenous people or marginalized communities in that area. Or when they do, they just, you know, grab the mic instead of amplifying it, make it about themselves. So we do have some issues, but I hope in the longer run, people can be more radically inclusive because we are one movement and we definitely need to be doing better. So, yeah, that is how it is. Yeah, I think I really liked the point you made about how so much of the conversation is about, you know, this, there's this narrative, right, that exists, which is, oh, we have to, quote, give voice to the voiceless, unquote, or, or we have to swoop in and uplift people who are unheard, or, and again, this is quote, unquote, unheard. And I think that despite growing interest in these issues, a lot of it remains on the surface level. You know, there there isn't yet, I would say, as much intersectionality as there should be within the climate justice space. I definitely agree. I think we have a long way to go uh, to achieve intersectionality in the Indian climate movement. And just the fact that we need to be doing better. And I I don't think there's anyone, like the whole voiceless thing is such a, like a Napaka savior situation because they just want to swoop in and uh, act like they're the ones uh, giving a voice, like you said, to the voiceless again. And it's so problematic because these people have been on the ground, they've been, you know, screaming and they've been deliberately silenced for their dissent. And I think 
uh, that's very concerning and what we should be doing is working alongside them instead of, you know, essentially acting like a savior. So that has been the case in in the environmental movement that is obviously concerning. So I think we definitely need to do a lot of work internally and unlearn a lot of things we've been taught. So and I hope we can do that. So let's talk a little bit about the events of February 2021. And maybe to contextualize it a little bit, we can talk about the farmers' protests that have been happening in India. And you could perhaps briefly share or explain what they're about and and your stance on that to begin with. So it'll almost be a year since the farmers have started protesting and they're protesting against the three aggressive farm bills that the government's been trying to pass. It is very, there are a lot of problems with the farm bills and I'm obviously uh, with the farmers on that. Honestly, I can't comment much on this because it could, uh, it since it is connected to the case, but I do wish one thing I've noticed in the uh, past few months is that the attention on the farmers' protests have died down. And this feels like a very deliberate issue because they've been protesting for a year. And there's obviously, and it's one of the largest protests in human history. And we should be talking about the fact that they're still there and they're still protesting out there because that's really resilient. And um, it's really hard to do it for such a long period of time. So we definitely need to be supporting them as much as we can. And how would you say that your activism or your outlook towards climate justice and climate action has changed since the events of February 2021? Honestly, not much has changed. I think I'm just more, I have acknowledged, I think, what the dangers of activism could be. But uh, yeah, I, I don't think, I don't see much of a difference. Otherwise, we're still doing what we want to and what we have to, because I think stopping activism just because of, you know, the conditions of our country in terms of how activists are treated isn't a privilege that I personally can afford. So I am continuing my activism just the way it was before, because I personally don't believe that uh, asking for clean air, water, and asking the government to leave out rivers and poison, leave the land with the people and leave, you know, the coal in the ground is an act of terrorism. I personally think it's an act of fierce, fierce love for all of humanity. And it's tragic that the government thinks otherwise, but we're here for a reason and we're going to continue doing good. Yeah, and I think it's important also to talk about how one sustains activism, given all that has been going on in India, given all the gloom and doom of climate news that we have seen in this past week alone. You know, what are some ways in which you look after or invest in your well-being? So I'm obsessed with reading, but I I personally believe that collecting books and reading books are two separate hobbies because I have now... I have now hoarded a ton of books and I have so much yeah. to read. So I'm, I'm swearing off buying any more until uh, I finish that. But I also, I got like I said before, I think a friend just gave a donated a lot of her books to SF. So I'm hoarding those too because I can't meet the rest mm-hmm. of SF Karnataka right now. 
But so, right now, I just have a ton of books that I that I have to read, and to me, that's my form of self. Yeah, I just on the weekends, I just like to switch off from devices for the whole weekend, if possible, and read and just spend time with myself. Because I've realized that not a lot of us just sit there with ourselves, with our emotions and our thoughts. And I like doing that. I found I find my company very uh, comforting. So I just read on some days. I really enjoy cooking for my mother. So we, I do that with her. Another thing I like is I live very far away from the main city of Bangalore. So a lot of birds. And I've been trying to like uh, read about the various kinds of birds and recognize them. And it's really nice. So these are essentially just some like self-care things that I do for myself that, you know, keeps me grounded and really, it honestly just makes me happy. So that's what I do. Yeah, I think a lot of people sort of took up cooking in the pandemic. So it's it's one of those uh, activities that I think a lot of people tried to either get better at or, you know, just start experimenting with. I mean, I think I myself remember the whole banana bread phase that I went through, especially during the first wave when there was like this optimism attached to it. We were like, let's make banana bread and banana bread and sourdough starters will get us through it. (laughs) You know, so none of those experiments were actually successful or edible, but I do remember that optimism (laughs) that we had at that time. I like. I was actually really happy that the people are becoming more self-sufficient about this. But I, um, interestingly, I actually wanted to be like a chef growing up as a child. So I've been cooking for like a long time. So but you're good I at it already. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I try though because I feel like cooking is an essential life skill, and it's one that I want to have, so I do it. But I do enjoy baking a lot. So I do that, but uh, I do just enjoy making like simple dishes with my mother. Cause I also have this very, um, this panic inside me saying like, oh my God, my grandmother's recipes are going away. They're not in mainstream like restaurants. No one finds this like appealing enough to put on menus. So I have this inherent need to write down recipes, learn from all of them before they disappear. I really, I really connect with that. So that's an internal mission. Yeah. I mean, it would be so cool to actually have a recipe book, you know, that you perhaps wrote and which would link your love for cooking and food and ingredients along with your climate activism, because, you know, your grandparents were farmers and you could talk about sort of, you could connect that stories about land, stories about ingredients to what you cook and what your grandparents used to cook. For instance, I think that would make for an excellent cookbook. Yeah, I've actually been wanting to do that because a lot of, I've also noticed that we grow a lot of our own food. Like Mm. we we eat a lot of wheat and we eat a lot of like ragi, which is like single millet, I think. And essentially those are like our main dishes and they're super sustainable, A. And Another thing is we obsessively make a lot of our own spices yeah. and our spice mix. And I, I didn't, I thought every family did that growing up, but I've discovered as an adult that not many families do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to do that when I like, you know, move out and have my own place and everything. So I just say something that I want to do, but I'm just very scared because like 
who's going to take care of like after my grandparents are gone and everything and uh, so yeah that's always there but i do want to keep doing this yeah and i think i mean it's a good thing i would say that your grandparents recipes are legible or if they are written down or if they have clear instructions because with my grandparents the recipe like they're both excellent cooks both my granddad and my grandmother but they refuse to share any of like the key secrets they just sort of like talk you through it they like do this do that and then voila your dish is ready oh same same i have written them down they have not they, they just measure things by their hand they don't even have like measuring and it's cups or anything to just think measure things by hand and and i'm just like no please give me instructions because otherwise mine's going to take different from yours yeah exactly uh, <laughs> yeah, i think the I ease try. with which they make it as well like the ease with which my mom she makes really like one of her favorite dishes one of sorry one of the dishes she makes which is my favorite <laughs> is a uh, bangan ka bharta and it's so good and then like she makes it look so easy and i'm like but how how did the aubergine going from being absolutely uncuttable <laughs> that's not a word but it is uncuttable <laughs> to this delicious like mush that is so versatile <laughs> i swear i really i really don't know how they do it but i'm so glad they do it though so. yeah absolutely and you know just sort of talking a little bit more about joy and and motivation how else do you think we can sustain activism in our daily lives because of course the work that we're doing can get really heavy it can get really intense at times and being consistent and being well persevering are key to sort of achieving certain goals achieving certain outcomes achieving certain changes policy changes So so how do we how do we sustain do you have any tips for people who are listening into this episode and for people who are um either starting on their journey as climate activists or people who are well into it I think one good idea is to make sure that the movement or whatever work you're doing is always larger than you so that if something were to happen to you like if you were Uh, if you're just burnt out honestly and you needed a break the idea would still sustain itself i think that's what we did with ff ff india is independent on one person or a small group of people it's ff india largely if i were to describe it as an idea is the idea is just to make the planet a safer place for all its inhabitants and that's what we're doing and that's not dependent on anyone so even if i were to take a break i know the operations are done just as smoothly because there's so many of us honestly so do that because you're not going to be able to keep doing activism day after day because it is exhausting and there's a very mentally taxing process and uh, i think one of uh, a friend like a senior friend in activism would always tell me this that you know it's it's a marathon not a sprint so you don't just run one stretch and stop you ha- you keep going so you need to be able to take care of yourself and sustaining yourself is sustainability in itself so that is super super important so do things that will also give you mental peace yeah i love that sustaining yourself is sustainability itself i think that that that's um that that should go in your cookbook by the way <laughs> <laughs> 
I'll make sure to put that in. Yeah, I think I think it's so important. And also I feel like one thing that particularly has helped me as well is you know, a lot of us talk about meditation, a lot of us talk about spending time in nature and and those are key tips and I highly recommend them. I highly stand by them. But I think also just sort of being, you know, being without the goal of achieving something, being without the goal of being productive, being without the goal of performing is just so therapeutic in itself you know when you don't have anything when you're not attached to any outcome when you're not attached to okay I have to you know do this to-do list or whatever when you're just there and you're just doing your thing and you're just chilling or even just you know walking around or sometimes being petty all of these things are just so important as well for your mental health because if you're serious all the time or if you're too invested all the time that can also lead to a burnout where you're where you're just you know you just can't find the energy to care anymore yeah that is true um and i feel like you know just the whole activism looks different for different kinds of people to some people honestly have the privilege to just stop and some don't and i think it's also important to recognize that privilege but at the same time you know what i'm really really grateful for is um just the fact that People really help out when you need to stop. People are really there for you to take on the, you know, workload when you can't do it anymore. And I think that's super, super important. And I think it's just okay to accept, like you said, that we may not succeed all the time. And that's okay because it's okay just to be doing our best right now. Because, you know, capitalism has just made us feel like we have to win all the time. But that's it's okay just to exist. Especially mm-hmm. because right now we're in like a global pandemic. It's not every day that ha- that happens. So I think it's just okay to not win or keep doing something all the time. Yeah, and I think I remember also in sort of the early, you know, early 2020, which is early start of the pandemic, there was so much pressure, I think, to, because a lot of people were under lockdown, there was so much pressure on social media that I came across various tweets, Instagram posts, LinkedIn posts, what have you, which were about, oh, are you building your skill set? Are you learning a new language? Are you learning how to make the perfect sourdough starter? Are you learning how to, you know, are you getting your workouts in every day? And it was just, I mean, it's, it's, it's not like you're on holiday, you know, it's not that, it's not like you've been given this time off from the world to do all of this because like you rightly said, you have to understand that privilege plays a huge role in this. And of course, just the fact that you are in a pandemic doesn't, it means that you cannot perform or you cannot achieve or you cannot pretend that this is some extra time that you have to mobilize and come out on top of. It's just so weird that that was an expectation because like we're in a pandemic, like why are we supposed to be, you know, just going at like that phase where we just learn everything it's okay it's just okay not to just to take things slow and I think a lot of like I think we realized that a little later into the pandemic and I'm just a little glad that we did because it was it was very hectic to read all those posts because I saw a few of them too and I was like what yeah I mean I remember just 
reading about, you know, somebody got like 200 burpees in and then went and, you know, did something amazing the same day. And I'm like, how are, how are people finding the energy and the motivation to do all of this? Because it's, um, it's frankly just, uh, it's, it's very difficult for a lot of us. And it can also be extremely pressurizing for those people who already have anxiety or other mental health issues that they're going through, which were exacerbated with the onset of the pandemic and restrictions. I, I, I completely agree with what you just said, because just the stress, like a lot of people really lost a lot of people, uh, a lot of their loved ones in like, I think the second wave in India. and. How do we recover from that while, you know, people are telling us to, you know, just up our skill set and how, how do we do all of this at the same time? It's just, a, it's such a capitalist way of working and uh, it's just so tiring. It's just so tiring that this idea of having to be productive if, or where, you know, you know, our worth is essentially measured by how productive we are. I think that just is such a capitalist idea that's been put into our heads. And it's been personally also so hard for me to get over that because I overwork a lot. But I have made a lot of progress and, and I see a lot of other people also, you know, coming out of that. And I'm very, very happy. But like, what was that that was just fed into our brains? Do you have any tips or recommendations on identifying burnout or, or before you get to the burnout stage based on your own experience uh, like you said you've been overworking or you used to do that um so what what are some of the ways in which a person can identify that they're burning through and how do they stop themselves from getting to that point i think it can look different for everyone but for me personally i would get really frustrated over the smallest of things i remember last year around the same time i got into a huge fight with someone and asked for the smallest thing and i just stormed off and i really regretted that later on cuz it was honestly my fault and i that's when i realized that all of these small things are bothering me because i'm just really really tired and i took some I took a break and I took some time to myself and I I I also essentially I'm always pushing for results and it also that was also one of the signs of burnout because I was just so frustrated with nothing positive happening and I think to overcome that personally was challenging but a break really really helped and I I now understand that these are the signs of a burnout for me and I I've learned to work around that so it can look different for other people but uh, these are the ones for me and i think my final question to you then is what brings you joy or radical hope you know what brings you specifically radical hope because we talked a little bit about joy before when you have had a week off really depressing climate news or when you have had a year off a pandemic a second wave restrictions and all of that what what gives you hope what gives you what would you like to see in your wildest imagination materialize for climate activists and within that space going forward i think all of us i think there's a page on instagram that's just called good climate news i'm so grateful for that page 
yeah, it's called climate good news, my bad. And they just, uh, you know, post stories um, or like post picture, like updates on like the good things that have happened in the climate uh, movement. And honestly, it just gives me so much joy because I feel like a lot of reporting on the climate crisis talks about what's wrong with the world. And it is fair because that's what needs to be reported because that's what we need to be talking about. But it's it's also really um, distressing to be going through so much personal issues. Like also my like house gets impacted when there's too much rain. Just the fact that you can also get impacted by the climate crisis and you see the world out there is also getting worse can be very, very depressing. So I think it's good to just read something positive. Personally, for me, that works well. So just like go follow that page. But also I think social media also makes one thing and it, it takes one thing and it blows it out of proportion, which um, is essential for a lot of things. But sometimes just cutting off from social media, I personally found it very useful. That way I can compartmentalize what's important and what's worrying me and then, you know, come back and, you know, be on social media. I think a lot of us expect activism to just be on social media because of the pandemic but a lot of my work at least happens behind the scenes and I actually don't enjoy posting on social media at all uh, but I do do it now because I have a platform and like I can amplify things but normally I, I just really don't like social media yeah it can be really it's just I mean of course the business model is also designed to give you the worst FOMO ever <laughs> So if you so if you don't post, you start stressing out. And if you do post, then you start stressing about the likes and engagement and all of that. And then you have to worry about how frequently you're posting, what you're posting. And it's yeah, it can be a real minefield, I think. And it's definitely not something I enjoy either. But it's something that, you know, when it works out or when you meet new people, when you're able to connect with new people, then you're like thankful for it. But a lot of times I'm just frustrated with it. <laughs> Yeah, I completely get what you mean. Just it's such a like, it's so hard to navigate. It's just like I think we're also born into an age where we all have been craving validation through social media and just to get over that and you know just live outside of digital bubble uh, is so important. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, on that note, thank you so much once again, Disha, for agreeing to come on my podcast and for agreeing to speak and um, for making time for this. I really appreciate it. I've had so much fun talking to you. I'm really looking forward to all that you're going to do next, especially the ideas that we've discussed now. <laughs> and yeah, and, and thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. This was surely nice.